Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 19, following along with lesson 18, Mosiah chapters 11 through 17, and I am recording in a different place than normal. I'm at my in-laws home. Uh, we're down here because with Tyra and Trey home from their missions and with Trey about to be reassigned um, from all the COVID-19 stuff, we thought we'd spend some time with the whole family. Uh, you know, it's rare to be all together with the amount of missionaries going in and out constantly with the Tebbs family. So uh, it's been fun. It's been fun to be able to spend time with all of them and, and have the whole family together for this period of time. It's been awesome. So uh, I also want to give a shout out to Easton, uh, Easton Syrup, Elder Syrup who's out on his mission. He gave me some great feedback this week. Uh, I really appreciate it, Easton. Thanks for um, sharing me with sharing your thoughts with me, and uh, I love what you shared. And uh, Obviously, I, I replied back to your email about that, and then also to um, Haley Pollock. Glad to know that you're a listener and, and listening to these and that uh, you find them entertaining. So this week, let's get into the introduction. Uh, large fires can start from a single spark. Abinadi was only one man testifying against a powerful king in his court. His words were rejected for the most part, and he was sentenced to death. Yet his testimony of Jesus Christ, who is the light that can never be darkened, sparked something inside the young priest Alma. And that spark of, com- that spark of conversion slowly grew as Alma brought many others to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The flames that killed Abinadi eventually died out, but the fire of faith that his words created uh, would have a lasting influence on the Nephites and on those who read his words today. Most of all, or excuse me, most of us will never face quite what Abinadi did because of our testimonies, but we all have moments when following Jesus Christ is a test of our courage and faith. Perhaps studying Abinadi's word testimony will fan the flames of testimony and courage in your heart as well. And I love that part where it says, but we, we all have moments when following Jesus Christ is a test of our courage and faith. I know that's been true for me, and from what I can tell from everyone else, that's the same. That, that, that is why we're here on this earth. It is to test our faith, to test our resilience and, and our belief in Christ and uh, to follow on the path and to follow the plan of salvation back to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah, we're all going to have those moments, and I think it's important that we recognize that. I think too often, um, I both I feel like this, and I've, seen, I've heard others say this, that when trials come or when tests of faith come, it's uh, like, why is this happening to me? And I think the natural inclination to do that, to, to ask and question, is because um, often we feel like when we're living our life right, at least for me, I know this, when I'm, when I'm living my life right, it just feels like everything should be going right. And in a lot of ways that's true, but, but it's also not true because, uh, I mean, this, this life is all about being strengthened in our testimony. And for me, when, and the gospel says this, is that, you know, you cannot know without being tested. You cannot know your faith or how much you believe in God and and uh, in Jesus Christ and the atonement without that being tested. Um, and also, I found that my appreciation 
for the blessings I have in my life, my appreciation and gratitude increases because of the trials I go through. And um, because I have to endure things, I appreciate even more the blessings versus the times in my life where everything's going good. Um, I don't mean to do this, but I definitely tend to not be as grateful and show as much gratitude. And, and I just don't think about the blessings in my life as much. So trials for me help, even though I don't love them, um, I do love them for the fact that they keep me in constant remembrance of what I have and, and what I've been blessed with. Um, but obviously trials are hard and they're not always fun. Uh, but keeping that perspective is helpful. So in the first section, in the first chunk, uh, Mosiah 11 to 13 and, and also chapter 17, I can stand for truth even when I stand alone. Imagine how discouraging it must have been for Abinadi to cry repentance to a people who did not seem at all interested in changing their wicked ways. His message was rejected again and again, yet Abinadi never gave up. When have you felt like you were standing alone in defense of the truth? As you read Mosiah 11 to 13 and 17, what do you learn that can help you be ready when the Lord needs you to stand up for his gospel? What other principles do you learn from Abinadi's example? And so I was thinking about this, um, when have I felt alone or standing alone in the defense of the truth? So the first thing I wanted, uh, that, that came to my mind was this uh, Mormon message where, I believe it's a talk by President Monson, where he talks about standing alone. He talked about his experience in the military when um, they had... It was like his first day in boot camp or something like that. It was the first Sunday, and, and they were like, the Catholics go here for church, and the Presbyterians go here, and the Methodists or whatever. And then um, he thought, you know, he's like, well, I'm not a Catholic or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or, or whatever, so what do I do? And he thought he was standing alone. Um, and then the sergeant turns to him, and, and he's like, and what do you three call yourselves or whatever, however many there were? And they all said were Mormons or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, he talks about in his testimony how, you know, he, he, he was willing to stand alone um, and then to find out that he wasn't alone, right? But um, so it's a really good message, and the Mormon message that was done was, is, is really good too. And that's what I thought of as just standing alone and um, kind of that experience that I think we all go through at some point or another, whether we actually stand alone or whether we, you know, or we think we stand alone, and then it turns out we actually had people that were with us the whole time. Um, so when I was thinking about this in times in my life where I've st- stood alone, the first thing I thought of was the mission, because um, I think that's just the low-hanging fruit of my memory, of my gospel you know, experience as the mission, and I know that's true for a lot of people that, that have served missions. It's where you know it, it creates this well of stories of experiences and things like that. Um, but I don't want to... You know, I don't want to keep pulling from that well and feel like the only time in my life I've ever had to stand alone was the mission. Um, but I remember in high school several times feeling like I was alone in, um, in the gospel, whether it was hanging out with a group of friends. And, um, and I had a great group of friends. I'm super blessed to be able to say that, that my entire life I've always had great friends to surround myself with. Um, I've never, I can't think of a time in my life where I didn't have strong friends in the gospel, uh, where, where I was the only one that had a, a firm sense of, you know, beliefs in the gospel and, and trying to follow the commandments. If anything, I was probably dragging all my friends down. Um, <laughs> like I've been super blessed that way. And I know not everyone else, I know not everyone gets that blessing, but, but I've had that blessing 
but I can think of, I don't know, like nothing sticks out in my mind as a specific time. I can just think of instances or small things where, um, you know, whether it was a movie choice, right? Like, oh, what what movie should we all watch? And someone's, you know, threw out a movie that I wasn't comfortable with or, or I knew there were things in that movie that would make me uncomfortable or, or put me in a position um, where I didn't feel like I could feel the spirit or music. I'd be in the car and uh, friends would want certain types of music that I maybe wasn't comfortable with and uh, just small things, right? So there, I don't think I have a big experience, but as I was thinking about this, um, I can relate two experiences where I have felt that awkwardness of rejecting the movie, rejecting the song choice, um, whatever, of trying to be a follower of Christ. And especially in the teenage years where I was trying to figure out what my standards were. And um, I know my, my parents had standards that they had set for us, but I was trying to figure out, you know, where I wanted to go and things like that. Um, so the thing that sticks out in my mind was this. So there was a sleepover I was invited to, and, and growing up, we weren't really allowed to go to sleepovers. Uh, but as I got older, that rule kind of got laxed, laxed a little bit. And so... I was invited to this one birthday party of a dear friend, and um, I went, and it was a lot of friends, but there were some friends that I, I wasn't as uh, familiar with, right, on a, I don't know, a personal level, I guess, and it was a bunch of guys, and at some point, they were making jokes. Now, in hindsight, these jokes really weren't that inappropriate, but at the time, they felt so inappropriate, like... Um, I don't know, just like puberty jokes. And because I was the last one to go through puberty, that also affected why I was so sensitive to the jokes. Um, because then later, like, they had all gone through puberty and I hadn't yet. So I just didn't understand. I thought they were just making the most vile of jokes. And then it turns out they weren't that, in a, like, they weren't that inappropriate. I just didn't understand. So I just was assuming they were kind of, this sounds so vague. And it's because I don't want to explain the actual jokes because they were super dumb. But point being... I remember at this birthday party feeling uncomfortable and trying to get away, trying to find a, a good safe place to go and put my sleeping bag. And because it was in a living room, there really wasn't anywhere to go. So the solution I came up with was to call my mom and have her come pick me up. And um, she did. Everyone was pretty like, I, I think I made up some excuse about being sick. Um, everyone was like, oh, okay, well, feel better. right? And then I went home and my mom said she was super proud of me for you know, setting that standard for myself and then following through. Of course, then her and my dad made a rule that we can never go to sleepovers again, so I don't know if that really helped me out in the long run. <laughs> I mean, here I was, you know, living good standards, and then it ended up hurting me and my agency anyway. But um, that's that was an experience I remember of, of feeling like I needed to... Um, I didn't say anything. It's not like I told them to stop it or knock it off or anything like that. But I just remember that being something where... That was a defining moment for me where I would leave if I was put in a situation that I felt uncomfortable with. And, um, you know, I haven't always been perfect. I can think of a time in college where I was I was making jokes. Um, I don't remember what the jokes were, but I remember I was with a, like a group of 10 or 20 guys um, in my freshman ward. And we were just making jokes. Um, and I, I guess... Like I, I, in my memory, I remember the jokes probably went too far because someone, it was my roommate actually, who got up and he said, look, guys, I just feel like these jokes have kind of crossed a line and I don't feel comfortable 
being here anymore, so I'm going to go. And it was a little, like, it was a little awkward and, and whatever, but I do remember I felt super chastised and um, and not in a, like, a, wow, man, way to ruin the party. Like, in a, no, he's right. And I said that, I think. I, I, he left the room, and all of us were kind of awkwardly sitting there, and I said, no, guys, he's right. Like, we, we probably need to be a little careful about the jokes we're making. And so I, I appreciated him being that example, you know, of he felt like he was standing alone, and he was for a moment, and he left the room, didn't give enough time to see the fruits of his, um, you know, standing alone. But that impacted me. So as I was thinking about all of this, I think there are times where, you know, we're not in the right, and there's people that feel like they need to stand up and make a stand. And I've been grateful for those times where that example has affected me and um, helped remind me where my standards lie and, and the type of person I want to be. And then there's times where I've had to leave. And um, I think that's something we, we all work on. And at the end of the day, we want to be the examples who stand up for what's right. We stand up for the truth and stand up for um, for Jesus Christ. And all of that to say that's exactly what Abinadi does here. And not only does he do that, he does it the whole time, which when I try to put myself in his shoes, I just cannot imagine right here here was a man who who knew he had a commandment from god he knew what he needed to do he did it knowing and i do believe he i do believe he had a firm understanding of what his future would look like based off of the decisions he make or even if he didn't know he had a pretty good idea it probably wasn't going to end well for him and he did it anyway and uh, that's the type of example that i want to follow after in my testimony um, so the second second chunk, it says, I need to apply my heart to understanding God's word. Kings Noah's priests were familiar with the word of God. They could quote passages of scripture and claim to teach the commandments, but those commandments were not written in their hearts, and they had not applied their hearts to understanding them. As a result, their lives remained unchanged. As you read Mosiah chapter 12, 19 to 30, ponder what it means to apply your heart to understanding God's word. Does this inspire you to make any changes in the way you approach learning the gospel? And uh, going back to that question, or not not question, but to that part where it says, and they had not applied their hearts to understanding them, the words of God. Um, I mean, I do this. I feel like I do this, and I feel like as saints, we do this, is that we go through the motions. We, we do the things that we know we need to do, and then we don't stop and apply it to our lives. And this actually, to me, is the key to understanding why people go astray, why people go inactive, why people leave the church and, and abandon their testimonies. It's that um, on the outside, everyone looks like they're doing the right thing. It, it appears like you know they're active members, they're having family prayer, and studying Come Follow Me and all these things. But there's something so much deeper and so something so much harder to to see right? Like it's something you can't witness because it's the internal processes of the spirit, which is you allow the gospel to, to, to go inside of you and change you, right? I think so often we allow the gospel to pass through us, but we don't keep it. You know, it's, it's almost like it goes one ear and out the other. So while it looks like we're in the right spot or doing the right things or keeping the commandments, if we're not allowing it to change our heart, then it's not having the impact it should be, and that's on us. And and the only people that can be the judge of that is ourselves. I can't judge you, and, and you can't judge me, because you don't know, right? And I and I don't know. So um, I don't know. It's tough because on one hand we can we can observe each other, and you can look around and observe your neighbors, your friends, and and fellow saints, and you can see the actions they're taking, and 
actions are a big part of faith, right? Um, you can have a belief, but if you're not acting on that belief, then that's not faith. That's just a belief. But uh, there's something even deeper, and this is where this is where God God is the judge because He's the only one that sees this process happening. But you know, are we allowing the gospel to enter into our hearts and then change us? Do we do we get up uh, in sacrament meet, in testimony meeting and bear our testimony and recognize the effect that that testimony has inside of us, or are we just saying words because we know that that's what we should be saying? And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I think that's a question that is, is really tough to answer because it's a, it's a daily question to answer. I know that there are times in my life, and, I, and I've said this repeatedly, there are times in my life where I'm really good at stopping and recognizing um, the effect of the gospel in my life, and there's times where I'm not. And I still go through the motions, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just don't feel the spirit as strong as I do when I'm conscious. I think that's just it, being a conscious saint, um, making sure that we're doing things with the spirit in mind and not just doing things because we know we should be doing them. Um, and that can be tough. And the reason I have noticed it's so tough in my life, at least, is because so much is happening, so much is going on where I've got a career happening, I've, I've got my family, um, and I don't put my family second because the, the, there's my second priority. I just, uh, right now, my career has been the number one thing distracting in my life. Uh, it's the number one thing that is that I am struggling with of looking for answers and trying. So that that's why I said it first. Uh, I don't want to feel guilty. <laughs> my number one priority is my family. Um, no, but but yeah, like you know, so much is happening in Flynn's life and Maggie's life and and Lex's life and and just my my family life in general and and with my friends and and everything. Um, so much happens on a day day to day basis, and that doesn't even that's besides just hobbies I have and and my interests and passions. And uh, man, it's just so easy, you know. It's it's so easy to get distracted or to put the gospel on the sidelines and just say for just you know for just this week I'm just gonna focus on these other things and I'll come back to the gospel. And every time I do that. Every time I do that, I regret it. Um, whether it's just because I didn't have the spiritual strength I needed for my week to overcome the the hurdles that I had, or or because I don't get I don't receive the direction I was in desperate need of, and it was because I wasn't spiritually prepared for it. So it's tough. And um, even as I'm saying this now, I know that if I'm not conscious of it tomorrow, I'll forget. You know, it's it's a daily thing. It's it's almost like an hour by hour thing. And it can be so tough, but that is the process that we're working on um, to be able to remember Jesus Christ at all times. And, and that's the covenant we make every every time we take the sacrament um, is to remember him and do it always. So it's a process, and I think that's the toughest thing that I have to remember is it, it is a process, not an event. And sometimes it feels like I make it an event, and I think I do that at my own peril. And I also think that's what with all the things, repentance, right? Repentance is not just an event; it's a process. Um, faith is not an event; it's a process. And and all and being able to have that paradigm shift of recognizing that is how I believe we keep ourselves on the straight and narrow. Um, it's one of those tools that we have uh, at our disposal, 
is, is being able to change our thought process about the gospel and about uh, how that how that affects our lives to be able to keep us uh, aligned with God. In the next chunk, it says the Lord will sustain his servants in his work. On the one hand, Abinadi's experience gives multiple examples of how the Lord supports his servants. You can find several such examples in Mosiah 13, 1-9. On the other hand, the Lord has uh, also allowed Abinadi to be persecuted, imprisoned, and martyred for his testimony. What do you find in these verses that reveals that Abinadi trusted the Lord? How does Abinadi's example affect the way you view your calling and responsibilities? And um, I have a couple thoughts here. The first one is that it's true. On one hand, you see Abinadi being protected, right? He goes in and then he's able to escape them. He goes for two years, comes back um, disguised, and then gets gets captured. And then they go to harm him, right? And, and he stops them and is filled with the power of God. And it says that he had the, the same countenance as Moses on Mount Sinai. And then on the other hand, um, he's, he's burned, um, well, he's beaten and burned, right? And so, <coughs> excuse me again. So the, the thought I have here is that we can, it's not always going to be the same. The same with Nephi, right? Nephi had experiences where he was protected and then others where he was allowed to be tied to the mast of a ship and, and beaten. He was beaten by his brothers. And so I, I think we can't just take it that just because we're being faithful and worthy means that we'll always be physically or emotionally protected it's um it's based on the lord's timing is also the lord's will and our goal are it is on us to understand his will and abinadi did um he says he did right at one point he's talking about how you i haven't said the things that god sent me to say so you cannot harm me yet and he essentially says there's a time limit on that and he understood that and so once his you know, job from God was done, then he, I believe, understood that he would, he, there at least was a possibility that he would seal his testimony with his blood. And he did. And, um, you know, the same has been true of other prophets, including Joseph Smith, who Joseph Smith was well aware that it would, it was very likely that he would seal, have to seal his testimony and his life's work with his blood. So um, keeping that in mind, and because I don't think in our lives, we'll have to have that extreme of an uh, of an example necessarily. But I do think there are times in our lives where we're not going to be the, the same level of protected that we have been in the past. And recognizing that that's okay because God has a purpose for, for all of that. So that's my thought there is just understanding that there are differences and, you know, just because you're being righteous does not protect you from everything. If it's the Lord's will, then... That is what we are trying to align our will with. And then the other is about um, how does his example affect the way I view callings and responsibilities is that um, God's called me to, you know, to do a calling or or whatever, to fulfill something. And, and it's my job to work with God to be able to fulfill that. Abinadi's mission looked very different than Alma's mission and looked very different than, you know, Alma the Younger's mission, and, and so on and so forth. They all had different missions, and um, it's not, I don't think it's helpful for me to be able to look at whatever calling I'm given and then compare it to how someone else has done it. Because God called me at the specific time he's called me to fulfill that responsibility, and I need to magnify that the best I can, right? If he wanted to call someone else, he would have called someone else. 
So recognizing that as individuals, God understands us and our gifts that he's blessed us with. And he also understands um, how he wants to utilize us, right? Like, like we've had so many prophets in this modern day, but they've all been different. They've all, they've had different personalities. They do things differently. Um, they go about the work differently and they've all been prophets. And so I've just been thinking about that, that, that as individuals, God calls us and we shouldn't compare ourselves to others the way like someone else fulfills that calling uh, because that's not helpful and that also doesn't help us increase our faith in God. So uh, moving on, I'm going to skip the next two chunks, which uh, closes out uh, the section one about the individual study. I do love, right, um, just the message in Mosiah 14 to 15 about Christ suffering for us. I think it helps me understand the atonement better. And I know as I was reading through this, I just was, I felt just filled with love and appreciation for the atonement. And I think this helps me key into understanding that better. And then with um, how Jesus Christ is both the Father and the Son, I know that's something on the mission I had a question about. Because um, even though I, I know, uh, right, like the Godhead and Heavenly Father Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost as three distinct and separate personages, um, as I was going through the scriptures I, on my mission, I remember having a very, like, clear question about that, like, why did the scripture say it this way? And so then to be able to have Abinadi explain it and break it down and things like that helped me feel more confident in my teaching to other people who had that same question. So in the second section, um, really the one thought I had here, um, and let me let me just check. Nope. Nope. I actually think I'm good. I don't really have any thoughts I want to share from um, the uh, study for family. So instead, I'm just going to conclude with some, some scriptures that I got that I had some thoughts on, if that's okay with you, which I'm sure it is. So first is Mosiah chapter 11, verse 7. And it reads, uh, Yea, and they also became idolatrous, because they were deceived by the vain and flattering words of the king and priests, for they did speak flattering things unto them. Um, my thought here was that, like, don't be deceived by people because they say what you want to hear. Uh, those are not your friends. Just like Noah surrounded himself by yes men, people, you know, people that were intelligent but said exactly what I wanted to hear. We have a tendency to do this. I, I, I know this is true because, you know, we don't like to be challenged and we like people to have the same opinions as we do. And all I can say is that the best thing to do is to surround yourself by people that you have a strong belief are trying to do what's right and trying to seek personal revelation for themselves and understand God's word. Because um, I know for me, I love to be challenged. Um, I don't always seem like it, but I do. I genuinely love to be challenged because it helps me either A, confirm what I believed before as I am challenged and then work through that, or B, helps me correct myself and um, make a course correction. The most the thing that worries me the most is when I see uh, either when I go to correct someone or someone else goes to correct someone and the person gets upset and then distances themselves from either me or someone else trying to correct them because they love them, um, that puts them on a 
you know, a slippery slope and uh, often leads to a path of them surrounding themselves by people that will tell them like, hey, you're living the exact life that you should be living, which... I mean, none of us are. None of us are perfect, and and we're we're all supposed to be helping each other. Now, the delivery isn't always great, but I think it's just you know, that's on us to figure it out, right? It's it's our lives, and we have to be the ones accountable to God. So, uh, I know for me, I try to take it as anyone that is trying to correct me in my life. I try to break down what it is they said that was true, maybe what they said that probably wasn't, and how can I apply those changes to me to be better. So don't surround yourself with people that just say what you want to hear because that really will not help you, um, for sure. The next one is Mosiah eleven twenty five. And let me scroll down. Okay, so it says, And except they repent in sackcloth and ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God, I will not hear their prayers, neither will I deliver them out of their afflictions. And thus saith the Lord, and thus he commanded, hath he commanded me. Um, I just think it was interesting that it says, you know, except they repent in sackcloth and ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God, I will not hear their prayers. That's a condition. Heavenly Father setting a condition. And I think I've just heard this excuse. Like, I've heard people say this, right? Like, well, God doesn't, God's not going to demand hard things of me or, or he's not going to, like, he just accepts me as I, as I am. Right, sure. He, I mean, he loves all his children. Um, but there are conditions. There are conditions to be able to return to him, conditions to be able to receive of the Spirit and the full, like, the full measure of the Spirit, things like that. So um, just don't kid yourself. There are conditions to be able to have blessings. And also, there's nothing wrong with parents setting conditions for their own children. Um I just get disturbed when I see parents be like have no conditions with their kids because they're like, "Well, I, I, I'm my job is to love them." No, your job is to teach them. Loving, loving, and teaching can be the same thing, and, but but love is not not like setting rules and boundaries. So I, I don't know where that fallacy came into this world, but it bugs me. So next one is Mosiah twelve twenty seven. Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding; therefore, ye have not been wise. Therefore. What teach ye this people? This is a um talking back to the priests. And uh, the, th- the thing I got from this is that we have to apply our hearts to understanding, which which is an additional step, right? Because it's not just read and ponder. Well, I mean, ponder is the apply, right? But like read, ponder, and pray. We really have to do the pondering part. I think that's the part we miss the most. We can read it and we can pray about it, but do we ponder it, right? Do we mull it over in our heads and try and, and figure it out? And uh, we, that is the key. The key is that we have to apply this to our hearts to understand it. And um, just don't, don't remove that key from your study. If you feel like your study isn't being, is, like, is not being as uh, successful as you'd like it, then consider and think, how are, is your pondering going? The final verse I want to point out is Mosiah 13.3. And it says, Touch me not, for God shall smite you if you lay your hands upon me. For I have not delivered the message which the Lord sent me to deliver. Neither have I told you that which you requested that I should tell. Therefore, God will not suffer that I shall be destroyed at this time. And so this is what I was saying earlier. I feel like he knew. He, he specifically calls it out at this time. And um, so understanding that if we receive revelation from God, there are times where God will tell us exactly the consequences that we will face, 
and I believe that he'll tell us based on our faith. Um, like, if you don't have faith to follow through, why would he tell you that? That wouldn't be helpful. But Abinadi clearly had faith uh, to follow through no matter what. So he was, I believe, given a window to his potential fate. And he still followed through anyway, which to me is why he 100% makes it to the celestial kingdom upon his death. Um, you know, welcomed into spirit paradise with open arms and, um, you know, was like he's going to receive his full exaltation because he did exactly what God asked him to do. He remained faithful to the end and, and fulfilled his mission. And uh, so that's the example. Like, I want to be able to say that about myself one day. Um, I lied. There's one last verse I want to talk about, and this is in the end, Mosiah 17. And it just says, uh, and, and Mo, the end of Mosiah 17 is just beautiful. It's I love the story. I love Abinadi's story. I love what happens with Alma. Um, I love, you know, the example that, that Alma sets and, and the fact that he was converted by Abinadi's words, that um, the fact that, you know, Abinadi might have felt like a complete failure, except he did have one convert, right? And that one convert went, went on to convert hundreds and thousands and, you know, from Alma's posterity, you know, with Alma the Younger. I mean, he he went and served several missions and, um, yeah, just that one spark, right? It, as this lesson talks about, that one spark set ablaze of the gospel and conversion. So just this last verse, I love this. And now when Abinadi has said these words, he fell, having suffered death by fire, yea, having been put to death because he would not deny the commandments of God, having sealed the truth of his words by his death. Um, what a great tombstone. And what a great memorial to Abinadi. And super grateful for his example. Um, I can only imagine, I can only imagine the celebration that he experienced when he did pass on to the next life. And um, I'm grateful for men and women who would risk it all, put their lives on the line for this gospel so that I can be sitting here just trying to figure it all out and to have the testimony I have. So that's what I want to leave you with. And um, as always, I will talk to you next week. Thanks.